Welcome to Meet Your Funeral Celebrant. My name is Tony Piper, and in each episode of this podcast, I'll be talking with a funeral celebrant. As well as getting to know them and exploring their approach to funerals, each guest will also share some useful tips. I hope this helps you find the right celebrant for you so you can create a good send-off. So let's begin. This episode, I'm delighted to be talking to Lisa Rigway. Lisa is based in Warsash near Southampton in the UK and has been a funeral celebrant since 2012. By way of interesting facts, Lisa used to be a teacher in a women's prison. Hi, Lisa. Welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you here. Hi, Tony. Thank you ever so much for having me. My pleasure. Why don't you fill in some of the gaps and tell us a little bit more about you? Okay. Oh, well, I was originally, I was born in London, brought up in London, um, then worked in central London in criminal law. Then uh, married, had three children, and then moved down to Bristol, where I stayed in Bristol area for 11 years. And in that time, I had started working as a teacher in a women's prison. And then trained as a celebrant before, uh, I worked as a celebrant before moving over here last August. So um, so that's a bit of a potted history, really. Hmm. How did you end up becoming a funeral celebrant if you were working as a teacher in a women's prison? Ah, uh, yeah. Almost 13 years ago, uh, my wonderful dad died. And he was just a hero on my rock. And um, it was the first funeral that we had had to arrange, just definitely that I'd had to arrange. And I went along with my mum and my two brothers to arrange the funeral. And we kind of knew what we didn't want, but didn't really have any idea what we did want or could have. Mm. Um, it, we went to a little independent and the funeral director also arranged the funeral and he got a sense of what we did want. And we had uh, a wonderful personal reflective service um, conducted by a celebrant. And I didn't know what that was. None of us did. And when people came out of the service, we all spoke, uh, which was very personal. When people came out of there, they said they didn't know whether it was appropriate to say it, but they actually really enjoyed it. And we said, mm. yes, because it was him. Yes. And I thought about it for some time afterwards and, and thought, actually, that that's something that I would quite like to do in the future. But I did recognise at that time that I was too immersed in my own grief to do it. Um, and then after a while, looked around for a course and found um, the wonderful Terry Shanks at the Fellowship of Professional Celebrants and trained over there. Um, and in the beginning, it was quite difficult because I tried to combine it with uh, part-time teaching in, in jail. But you can't take your phone into a jail because it's a criminal offence. And eventually I felt that I wanted to commit to becoming a full-time celebrant. And that's it. Hmm. I think that's quite a, a common experience for funeral celebrants is to find something in our own grief and that we experience other people helping us with that in that way and wanting to do it. What's important to you about being a funeral celebrant? Essentially, it's on, on, on the back of that, um, of, of Dad's funeral, is trying and striving to give families what they want. Right. 
and um, doing the absolute best for them because this is their chance to say goodbye to their loved one. Mm-hmm. And you can't and play you can't place too much importance on that. And they have to feel that they have done the right thing for that person and they've done everything they possibly could for them personally and for their loved one to sort of help them on to that next stage in the grieving process. Yes. So yeah. That's what I want. And what do you love most about him? Because it is a job of love, isn't it? It is absolutely. It's it's, um, it, it's the most uh, all-consuming job that I've ever done. Um, because you work days, evenings, weekends, and it, it never stops. Um, but I love I love meeting people um, and hearing um, people's life stories and people's memories and people's experiences and and um, also sometimes there. They say, oh, um, could we do this? Could we have that? And it's not, it's great to be able to say, yes, mm. you can. As, you know, as long as it's legal, legal you, you can do that. We can have that. And there are um, – every single service is, is different. And it's always personal and it's always reflective. And, um, yeah, there, there is there is nothing nothing better or more rewarding than – people coming out and saying, yeah, that, that, that was him, that was her. Yes. Or I didn't know this, or I didn't know that. <laughs> and um, to me, a, you know, a, a funeral service does that. It tells people's life stories um, and it resonates with people that are sitting in that congregation who are there to pay their respects, but also, you know, because they like that person, because they love that person. And that's what I, I feel that they should they should feel. Is that they that it does resonate with them? Yes. And in so doing, then they can then begin to move on to whatever's next as part of their grief journey, right? Yes, absolutely. Um, because if it is not, um, you know, it, it may sound a bit contrite to say it's a positive experience, but mm. in a way, it is. Because um, if it's not, then they can't move on from it. Yeah. And that's very important to to everyone. And and I personally have experienced that would you like to tell us a bit little more about that from my own personal experience yes in in that um we did feel that we'd we'd done the right thing for dad and that actually he would have been proud of us for doing that right and and you, whatever you you know throw it at a funeral you you can't buy that you can't buy that feeling no that's right. Yeah. What's your most useful skill? I'd be interested to hear how you transitioned <laughs> from being a, a teacher in jail to being a funeral celebrant yeah. and what skills you might have brought with you. But tell us about your other yeah. skills and your most useful one, in your opinion. Um, uh, yeah, um, there, there are transferable skills, funnily enough. Um, and one of the, the, the biggest ones, I think, for me, is the delivery. Because... Um, I used to teach customer service in, in jail because um, we hope that, that um, people will go on and find employment yeah. and some of those um, jobs may well be in, in customer service field. And um, there's one lesson that I taught and it was a pie chart and it was the effectiveness of words. And I asked them to sort of draw on the pie chart how you, what they felt 
the words, how effective they were themselves. Mm. And they all put down a far bigger percentage when, in fact, the actual pie chart was uh, the word, the effectiveness of the words themselves is only 7%. Yes. And to me, it's how you deliver those words mm-hmm. you know, so that they have an impact and they mean something. And um, yeah, it's, it's, it's all about delivery. It's about changing tone of voice. It's about, you know, sometimes you, you, you do add in um, some humor, reflecting the person themselves. And you also reflect um, the reason we're there. I think of a funeral service in terms of um, light and shade. You know, light reflects the person, shade is the reason we're there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, by changing the tone of your voice, you can reflect that easily. And also, um, obviously, I read from a script, but I like to look out at, at, at the congregation, you know, connect with people, because eye contact is so important itself. Um, but actually, prior to that, also listening, uh, really listening, not just hearing, listening, and also um trying to use some of their words when they talk to you um, because then that's that's the words that they would use with their loved one and that's important. Yes. Yes, and that's how they know they've been listened to if you're using the words they used. Exactly right. Yeah. 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 So what do you think makes a good funeral? Um. Yes, exactly that. Really, um, reflecting the light um, and and focusing on the shade as well. Yes, all the all the elements. I I think you know all the elements that people want in a funeral service. Okay, they may um, they may want a prayer, a hymn, something like that, mm-hmm. a poem. Often, I personalise poems um, to reflect someone's interests and character traits, uh, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, connecting with people, you know, connecting with people so that sometimes, sometimes there are tears, of course there are tears, sometimes there are smiles, sometimes laughter. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, for people to to feel all those things uh, and experience those things as, as part of the funeral service. Yes. I think, you know, that makes a good funeral. And thinking, yeah, thinking about the connection, there's this thing about, Sometimes at funerals, we've not been together for a long time and reconnecting with the other people who are in the room. That's right. That's right. And and they connect then with each other and share their memories and their experiences um, with that person. Yes. So um, obviously it's, it's an incredibly sad time. But there are also positives in that people do reconnect and they do share those memories and perhaps then they rebuild relationships in the future. Yes, yes. Hmm. So that's some useful insight as to what makes a good funeral. What's not so important, do you think? Having uh, planned a funeral for the first time um, 13 years ago, I would have said that there is nothing that isn't so important because it's a complete um, fear in some ways of the unknown. Mm, yes. You, you've never been in this position before and um, you're grieving and everything seems overwhelming or can seem very overwhelming. So um, even the, the, the tiniest of detail can be so important. 
And yes, you know, at the end of the day, when you come out of there, um, those tiniest details don't matter, Hmm. but they do beforehand. And that's why I believe that communication between us as celebrants and the families that we're working with, and also communication between us and the funeral directors and arrangers is paramount to try and iron out any issues, any any finer detail, so that so that the family is absolutely sure that everything will go as smoothly as it can on the day, and they can just focus on their loved one and being there and um, celebrating their life. Mm-hmm mourning their passing and doing the absolute best for them that they can. But it is that reassurance all the way through from the time of the arrangement to the time when they, when they leave the chapel or, um, or the graveside. Hmm. Thank you. What was your most unusual funeral? <laughs> um, there have been a few. <laughs> Have been a few. Um, I, I'm the sort of person that I I don't shy away from anything. Um, I, as long as it's legal and doesn't offend anyone, I will say anything or do anything. I um, have a couple of times when I've been asked to put on a Scottish accent, mm-hmm. and I've done that, um, and quite happily done that. Um, I've been asked you know, for very strange music choices, what well, strange but unusual music choices that most people wouldn't have at funerals, mm. but that's okay. It's, for example, it's, it's reflective. Um, oh, well, a lot of people will have My Way by Frank Sinatra, but not many people have My Way by the Sex Pistols. Oh, yeah. Um, but this was chosen by the person themselves, and actually, the majority of unusual choices, should we say are chosen by the person themselves who have planned their own funeral. Um, I did have uh, the same person, should I stay or should I go? And he wanted the congregation to shout at him, go. Um, And they did. uh, Because that was him and that's that's who he was and they were happy to do that. That's the committal, right? Yes. Yeah, oh. it's not. It's not for everyone, but I think yeah. um, most of them have been requests from um, the person themselves before they passed away, mm-hmm. or the families. And I've um, uh, led the actions to never forget by take that, which was a personal request from oh, nice. um, the children of the lady. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think probably for me personally, it was my first funeral, and. Um, it was a request by a, a friend of mine. It was her mother-in-law who had sadly passed away, and it was a it was a double slot over at Westerly Crematorium in North Bristol. And um, they fostered dogs, so I asked if the dogs could come in, which is absolutely fine. And when I was talking to the family, what kept reoccurring, very very regular basis, was that this lady liked to get up and sing karaoke, Dancing Queen. <laughs> And after about an hour I sat with them, um, when this kept coming up, I said, would you like to stand up and sing Dancing Queen? Wow. And they said, can we? And I said, well, I think so. Bearing in mind it was my first funeral. I had no idea. But I thought, <laughs> well, this is so, so reflective. This is her. Yes. And, um, and I thought, well, either this will go really well, because obviously I had not worked with funeral directors before, 
Um, so either this will go really, really well, or I'll never work again. <laughs> and um, and it was a former. It 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 really went well, and um, they loved it. And and that that was my springboard. Hmm. That so, sounds yeah. amazing. That sounds amazing. <laughs> it was. Quite, I was so nervous beforehand because I thought, you know, literally, I could just fall apart here. It could. This could sink. Yes. But it didn't. You went with it. Good for you. <laughs> Good for you. Uh, this raises an interesting point, though. For, for anybody that is planning their own funeral now, mm. what are some of the considerations about how much of it you can do for yourself in advance and how much of it is useful work that the family need to do to express their loss and their appreciation? And where's the balance? Mm. And, and are there any sort of conflicts sometimes between, you know, the, the funeral that's been well prepared by somebody before they die and the needs of the family on the day? That can be a difficult one. I mean, mostly people will just, um, you know, respect that person's wishes. Um, but there may, you know, sometimes there are people who would, I would like this, you know, some, it, sometimes it's been that somebody has no faith, mm-hmm. but a very close member has a faith. And it wouldn't be right for them if there wasn't some faith element included. Yes. And and so, you know, yes, it, it's so important to them that that's included. So I think there are compromises to be made. I think, you know, having um, worked as a celebrant for some years in this industry, um, I'd probably give some people some advice if, if they were uh, thinking of planning a funeral in advance to, to plan it well in advance, talk to people um, in the industry, find the right funeral home for them. Um, and people are still are thinking along those lines more nowadays. Yes. Um, you know, some of us go out to people who are perhaps at end of life and want to plan their own funeral in advance. Um, but I would say, you know, if, if, you want, if you have someone in mind that you would like to conduct the funeral for you, then talk to that person in advance and, and advise the funeral home beforehand that this is the person that you would like and to, to sort of marry up the two so they communicate with one another yes. to make sure that that person is available mm-hmm. on the day for, for that funeral um, so that as much detail can be po- can be planned in advance because at that time when your grief is so raw, it's very, very difficult to, and, and you may have other things that you, you need to do, you know, um, financial paperwork, other things like that, um, that it can seem like a minefield to get through. There's a lot to do, isn't there? There is, there is. So Just when we don't feel able to do it. Yeah, and, and ultimately, you know, the funeral service is everything and, and it's so important to get it right on the day. Mm-hmm. So to to iron out any issues about that beforehand, even before perhaps families go in and make the arrangement. You, you can book a funeral before you go in to, to do the paperwork with a funeral home. And sometimes that, that's a good thing to do because it makes sure that people who should be there are available to be there. Yes. So, you know, a little planning in advance is a good thing to do if you're able to do it. Yes, and certainly all the settlements I know be delighted to talk um well ahead of time Mm. to help understand several things first of all whether they're a good fit for each other you know is Mm. this the right celebrant for me 
and also really think about these things that if explored now could make a real difference later they could they could and also you know give them peace of mind yes that um that that their wishes will be carried out on the day yes at such a difficult time in their lives that's great advice thank you very much lisa What was your most challenging funeral? I think because of the circumstances and because um, this particular family needed so much support, it has to be uh, one that I conducted almost two years ago. As I say, in very tragic circumstances. And this family were a very well-known family in the area it was going to be a very very big funeral which is good because obviously this man was very well liked and loved by many people mm. but also you it is about those that person and those people sitting in the front row so you have to get it right for them and they are the most important people to you so I, I spent a long time with them um, and also had a very, very close um, professional relationship with the funeral director. And we worked together incredibly closely. We spent time with the family on a few occasions down at the Chapel of Rest at the weekends, the night before the funeral, lots of communication before the funeral. Um, and... Then on the day itself, because it was going to be such a, a big funeral, we um, arranged for the slot beforehand and afterwards to be free right. so that we would have plenty of time for people sensitively to get in and, and leave afterwards. They all wanted to go and spend some time with him at the end of the funeral, so we had to allow time for that. Um, also, the car park would be overflowing. You have to all these considerations. Mm -hmm. So um, I was there very early. And before the funeral party arrived, I seated and um, put people in places that um, didn't know they were in, <laughs> in the chapel building and outside yeah. because there were so many people there. Um, and that was a very personal, reflective funeral. You know, it was a real character. So it had to resonate with everyone, but also the people outstanding outside that couldn't see me. Yes. So the, the, the delivery had to be extremely good to to connect with those people outside who had no, couldn't see me at all. Um, so it, it, it just had to be. Um, and yeah, it, it was, it was tragic. It was so sad. Um, he had young children and that's always a very difficult one, but the feedback afterwards was amazing. And um, they all felt that we together had done the absolute best for him and that's all that mattered great well done thank you and every funeral is different isn't it you just don't know you don't you don't and, and sometimes there are um what uh, my uh, favorite <laughs> funeral director would call curveballs thrown at you um Definitely. people hand you bits of paper and say they want to speak on the day and when you didn't know about it beforehand and it's really staying calm and just dealing with it in a, in a sensitive manner um because that's what people need yes and the time constraint is often 
such a big factor, isn't it? Yes, it is. I mean, you, you can you can plan. Um, obviously, the, the more experienced celebrants, um, when they've written a service, they will really know how long it's going to take. But sometimes when you've got a bigger congregation than expected, it takes more time to get people in. Yeah. It takes more time for people to leave. You know, some sometimes there are people who speak for a little bit longer than they thought they would do or had told you they would do yeah. um uh, and and there is really nothing you can do about it most funeral services do run to time but there are occasions when um there is a little bit of a run over but that's that's just part of of the job yeah and you and you go with it and just apologize to the people coming along behind you afterwards because there's essentially nothing you can do Certainly with the increased amount of choice around nearby crematoria, it might be useful if you're planning a funeral to ask that question of the funeral director. And if it's a question of going a few more miles to maybe get another 15 minutes because they they tend to operate on different uh, service lengths, that could be useful to you if this kind of situation might arise. It could. I mean, there are circumstances when perhaps I might visit a family and, and there seems to be a lot more content than um, perhaps was envisaged at the arrangement that I might ring them and say, perhaps book a double slot. Yes. I mean, some some families go to the same um, crematorium because it's a family tradition. You know, yeah. Members of the family have gone there and that's important to them. Mm-hmm. Um, so it may well be that they would need perhaps a longer slot that some offer or a double slot. Um, but the important thing really is that nobody feels rushed. Yeah. Um, because that can, it, that can appear incredibly insensitive. Yeah. And we'd never want to do that. Absolutely. Is there anything that you can suggest as a celebrant that people can do to enable that sharing and paying tribute and respect to, to continue after the funeral? You know, because often, you know, we'll, we'll all go off somewhere. Mm. and have a some refreshment is there anything that people can do to encourage other people just to to share or or other ways of contributing do you mean afterwards or yeah, during the funeral afterwards given yeah, the constraint I, on time is it is it possible for mm. yeah else? sometimes um perhaps a, a lot of uh, many crematoria now there are um you can have visual life tributes um, which Ooh, are fabulous what's one of those? Run. Um, well with, those, with family um, provide f- still photographs okay. of, of all the memories that they have mm-hmm. and they're uploaded and, and screened whilst um, the service is ongoing okay some yeah some visual life tributes are screened all the way through and some just during the reflection music mm-hmm. and um you know sometimes there are times when they've probably got too many photographs and and you can't do it justice sort of flicking from one to the other you need to have time to look at the photograph and yeah. sort of relive that memory mm-hmm. and sometimes i might suggest well you know you you could have that visual more of a visual life tribute at the venue afterwards right um, and and perhaps people can speak. Perhaps people there isn't the time allocation within the slot for everyone who might like to say something to do so. So it could be that um, something's available at the venue afterwards mm. for people to share more memories that they have. 
Hmm. So, um, so yeah, I, I think it doesn't always stop at the end of the funeral service. Certainly we do that on an informal basis over a cup of tea mm. or something stronger. Yeah, yeah, because some people don't feel that they are able to stand up at the lectern mm. and share their memories there, but they would be able to do so in a less formal setting. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. Thank you very much. Well, alas, time is running away with us. I could speak to you all day, Lisa. Yeah, it's been great. Really enjoyed talking to you, Tony. Likewise, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. And I hope that everything that you shared will be useful to people who listen to you. Ah, oh, that would be good. Take care. Good luck with everything and you do. Thank you. Bye. Bye bye.